Mohini was a regal white tiger who lived for many years at a national zoo. For most of those years, her home was in the old lion house, a typical 12 by 12 foot cage with iron bars and a cement floor. Mohini spent her days pacing restlessly back and forth in her cramped quarters. Eventually, biologists and staff worked together to create a natural habitat for her. Covering several acres, it had hills, trees, a pond, and a variety of vegetation. With excitement and anticipation, they re released Mohini into her new and expansive environment. But it was too late. The tiger immediately sought refuge in a corner of the compound. There she paced and paced until an area 12 by 12 feet was worn bare of grass. And Mohini stayed in that corner for the remainder of her life. So we've heard tales of two tigers today whose magnificence was threatened by the stories and experiences that they had. And if glorious tigers can lose their way, their sense of freedom and their wholeness as a result of their environment and stories, what about us humans? Psychologists, anthropologists, writers and politicians know that we're deeply impacted by the stories we're told and the experiences we have throughout life. And even though we know that both nature and nurture have a role in modeling who we become, the influences and experiences we undergo particularly in early life, shape us deeply. The first days and months on this earth are of course crucial in forming the patterns for our lives. Do your parents gaze at you with loving eyes? Do they smile at you and embrace you, nourish you and meet your needs with love and delight? If so, your story may begin with, I am beautiful, I am worthy, I am enough, I am loved. But if you're unwanted or born into a household full of mouths clamoring to be fed or your parents can't give you the time or care you need, your story might begin in a very different way. I'm a nuisance. I'm too much. I'm not worthy of love. I'm not good enough. There's not enough food or kindness for me in this world. Those early messages lay the foundation of our future story. And then as we grow up and the awareness of what's around us and who we are grows, we begin to flesh out our stories. What messages do our teachers, parents, relatives and friends tell us about who we are? What do they tell us about our families, our ancestors and what to expect from life? In November 1960, as a six-year-old girl, Ruby Bridges became the first black child to integrate into a previously segregated elementary school in New Orleans. She'd grown up in a family in which the idea that she was in any way inadequate or inferior or less than never touched her consciousness. She believed she was a smart, good person who could do anything she wanted, and she was, until she became the first black person going to a school filled with all white children. Until she met teachers who told her she was different and that she wouldn't be able to do the things the way other kids could because of the color of her skin. There were no white kids 
at school the day that she arrived because their parents kept them out of school in protest. So as she was escorted into school by government officials, people hurled abuse at this little girl. And then she saw a baby's coffin in which they put a black doll. Bridges shares that she had ongoing nightmares about that coffin and that day. And she began to tell herself a new story that there was something wrong with her because of the color of her skin and what she'd seen. This experience changed her narrative for years to come. What happens to us as we grow up shapes us. It mirrors to us who we are and what we can expect and tells us our worth and potential. And then we become a melting pot filled with the narratives that we experience. And then we add to that what we see in books and TV or in movies and what we learn in our schools and religious institutions. They all expand or impact our worldview. And we either find ourselves reflected in these narratives and inspired, or we're ignored and warned or even scared by them. The Nigerian author Chimamanda Adichie tells us when she started reading at age four that she was only given books about white children in England and the US. So as she began writing her own stories at the age of seven, her characters were white, blue-eyed, played in the snow, which of course she'd never seen in Nigeria, and talked about apples and the weather. None of them reflected her reality. But she was so influenced by these stories that she felt she had to portray those characters rather than the ones from her own culture. In fact, she thought it wasn't okay to write about Nigerians until she discovered some African writers. Chimamanda noticed how impressionable and vulnerable we are to stories around us, particularly as children. And she also warns us against telling a single story. Now, as you know, when we hold single narratives about other people or cultures like all Africans are lazy or all Germans are uptight or all Americans are gun-toting, it leads to prejudice and oversimplifying the nuances of our cultures. We can't form our worldview about others from a single source alone. And this is the danger of watching biased media that likes to portray a simplistic single story, like all Democrats are crazy dangerous liberals or all Republicans are self-interested and stupid. As soon as we hear a narrative about anyone that generalizes, it's a great cue for us to get curious, to listen more deeply, to do our research and try to expand the single story. So as we get older, we begin to have our first intimate relationships. And there we're reflected in a whole new way. Do we have worth? Are we lovable? Are we treated with respect and care? Or do we hide who we are because we're scared we might not be accepted by society, let alone another human being? Perhaps we realize that our sexuality or our gender expression doesn't fit the typical stories that we see around us. So we begin to feel like outsiders carrying with us a great secret. And depending on whether our family, friends, and school are open and accepting of this true inner story, 
we're able to love ourselves. But if not, we may head towards despair, fear, or self-loathing. There was this guy who worked in an LGBTQ specialty bookstore. And one day while he was on duty at the register, he got a call from a young man who said he thought he might be gay and he was considering self-harming. The bookshop assistant kept this guy on the phone and answered his questions and tried to be as encouraging and calming as possible, but he realized he didn't have the skills of a crisis hotline and how to handle this situation. And as the caller began to sound more and more desperate, the line at the till grew longer and longer with people waiting to buy their books. Finally, the woman at the front of the line said, my turn and asks for the phone. A 50-something lesbian, she talks at length to this stranger on the phone. And people gather behind her who also want to talk to this man. They want to help him revise his story to one of courage and possibility rather than fear and self-loathing. We need others who understand us to help us uncover new narratives and possibilities in our lives. So as we construct ourselves based on the stories of our past, our present and our future start to reflect the narratives we've experienced. If our first experience of love and connection is one of broken attachments, betrayal, neglect or, or rejection, we're likely to replay that story as we get older because that's what's familiar to us. If we grew up poor, we may have limited narratives about what we deserve or can achieve in life. If we grew up with body issues, we may struggle with weight and eating disorders. If we struggled in school, we may lack confidence in our abilities or think ourselves stupid. And if we were bullied, we may not believe our lives are worth living. So to what extent do we have a choice in the story of our lives? Many people likely never realize there is a choice and just go through their days in reaction to experiences from their youth. Many spend their lives replaying the early traumas with no sense that they get to author their own narratives as their autonomy and consciousness grows. But it actually takes tremendous courage, resilience and determination to rise above our experiences and messages as children. The fastest runner of all time, Usain Bolt, was told that he was too tall to be a good sprinter and that he'd never be able to run very fast. But Bolt persisted and overcame the limiting stories society was telling him. He chose a new possibility of who he was and stopped at nothing to become the fastest man on earth. The first American, African-American prima ballerina with a prestigious American Ballet Theater, Misty Copeland, also had an inauspicious start to life. She grew up sleeping on the floor of a motel room with five other siblings and her single mother in San Pedro, California. When she was seven, she saw the gymnast Nadia Comaneci on TV. And seeing Nadia's story helped Misty rewrite her own. Inspired, she began choreographing flips and dance moves to Mariah Carey songs. And then at age 13, she attended her local boys and girls club and tried her first ballet class. 
a teacher noticed her there and was so stunned by her natural talent that she committed to mentoring her. And within months, Misty began winning awards and the teacher became her official guardian. So by age 15, she was a professional dancer, having only started two years earlier. And she's now known as one of the world's most extraordinary dancers. Misty was able to write a new narrative because of the alternatives she was shown. But making it beyond the stories of our past conditioning is hard. Like our tiger Mohani showed us, our past can keep us trapped in a limited reality. As the lion said in the story that Sam told earlier, it is the lies we believe in that keeps us in our cages. But it is the truth that sets us free. So how do we evolve new narratives that break with our past, the truth of possibility? We need our imaginations and glimmers of hope to create a new reality. So I want you to reflect with me for a moment. Just take a moment to think and wonder whether you are stuck in any stories of limitation about your own life or our society. Where do you find stories that inspire you with hope and possibility that might help you transform that narrative? Now, of course, many religions share stories of aspiration, perseverance, and possibility, and they teach us values of love, justice, and compassion. And when we read stories depicting heroes overcoming odds, we may be able to envision a different life for ourselves. So I encourage you to seek out those telling the stories of the world that you want to live in. For me, it's people like eco-philosophers, Charles Eisenstein and Joanna Macy, and it's wise spiritual elders. For some, it's stories about Jesus and other heroes from the Bible. For others, it's Buddha or the Dalai Lama or Muhammad's wisdom. And for some, it's archetypal myths by Joseph Campbell and some of the world's great psychologists like Carl Jung. Dan McAdams, psychology professor and author of The Redemptive Self, Stories Americans Live By, told the Huffington Post that the stories we tell ourselves about our lives don't just shape our personalities, they are our personalities. They are our personalities. Therapist Laurie Gottlieb says that the way we narrate our lives shape what they become. And she says, if we can change our stories, we can change our lives. But how do we change our stories? It's not that easy. The first step, I think, is to become aware of them. We may not even know the narratives that we follow, like fish swimming in water. We don't notice the stories we swim in. We can't see what narratives we're perpetuating. But through personal growth work, through therapy, through mindfulness practice, or creative expression, or even conscious relationships, we can lovingly help ourselves see the stories that define us. You might ask a friend that you know, or your partner, what are the stories that I perpetuate? 
awareness practices can also hold up a mirror for us to see our patterns. So I wonder if you'd be willing to do an experiment with me for a moment. I invite you to think of a story that you tell yourself that might not be serving you well, something that keeps haunting you about your life and that you may repeat again and again. Who are the supporting characters? Who is helping you uphold an unhelpful version of the story? And then ask yourself, what might you have left out of the story? What perspective might you not be looking at? What's the point of view that the narrator, you, aren't willing to see? Now, you might look at your story and write it from another person's point of view. Often telling our story from a third person perspective rather than the first person can help us assess it more clearly. And telling your story in third person can also help you get some distance from it. Another technique that I learned through landmark education is to tell your story repeatedly to someone until you are completely sick of it. By repeating charged stories from our lives again and again and again, they eventually lose their potency. And we may even get bored of them and free ourselves up to move on rather than be on eternal looping. But Laurie Gottlieb suggests that if you find yourself trapped in a story of discontent and stuckness, you may wish to remind yourself gently that we're all going to die. Is this the story you want to be remembered for? And then consider, you can shape these stories while you're still alive. You have the chance to be the hero and not the victim of your story. So how would a hero or protagonist who inspires you change this story? Choose which of your stories to listen to and which ones you might want to edit. Become the narrator of your own story. In fact, Gottlieb encourages us to aim for our own Pulitzer Prize and the stories of our lives. What do I want my story to be? And then go and write your masterpiece. Another way to remind ourselves that we're interpreting everything is to say, the story I tell myself about this is... So you might want to try that the next time you're in a disagreement with someone and just say, the story I tell myself about what just happened is, and see if it doesn't free you up to perceive it as your interpretation rather than a fact or a hard and fast reality. Another important way to change your story is to liberate yourself from influences that are not supportive to rewriting your story if you're feeling depressed or stressed, you may want, for example, to stop taking in negative news media. Don't expose yourself to TV or films or the internet with stories that perpetuate your harmful story. Surround yourself with positive people and experiences that help you envision the world in a new way. 
again, this takes a lot of self-discipline and intention, but it's so worthwhile if you really want to transform your future. But how about the stories that are perpetuated in our society? How are they framed and how do they influence us? Mostly in the US, the narratives we hear seem to focus on achievement, success, competition, consumption, extraction, and domination. What if we were to actively replace those stories with ones about our kindness, our cooperation, our generosity, our collaboration and community? To start seeking out a vision of our country and world that is uplifting and good for all. Zen teacher and professor and writer David Loy says, we challenge a social arrangement by questioning the story that validates it. When people stop believing the stories that justify the social order, then it begins to change. When French people no longer accepted the divine right of their king, the French Revolution ensued. Change the stories individuals and nations tell themselves and live by, writes the Nigerian poet and novelist Ben Okri, and you change the individuals and nations. I've been listening to a new book called Humankind, A Hopeful History by Rutger Bregman. Humankind questions the notion that humans are inherently self-interested and bad and reframes us as inherently good, cooperative and kind. It's very in line with our UU principles. And he challenges us to question social Darwinianism and the survival of the fittest, the dog eat dog narrative. One of the examples he shares is how the 1954 novel, Lord of the Flies by William Golding has framed our narrative for decades. Many children read that book in school, I certainly did, and it has colored our world. It tells us that if humans were left alone on a desert island, especially testosterone-filled young boys, they would eventually destroy one another. And this became our society's narrative. However, Bregman uncovered a real life example of this story. That story was made up. In real life, a group of six schoolboys out on a fishing trip from Tonga were shipwrecked on a deserted island for 15 months. But rather than fighting and killing each other for resources, they worked cooperatively and helped each other survive. Long given up for dead, their families had grieved them, but they survived and told the most extraordinary stories of cooperation and collaboration. And they developed a way of being that supported everyone rather than one of competition and mutual destruction. They were eventually found and rescued by an Australian ship's captain, all of them healthy and well. So we need to question the stories we're told, even the culturally embedded ones, or perhaps especially those. We need to question whether we're fundamentally good or depraved. What if we started living into narratives that humans are essentially good, as our Unitarian Universalist faith tells us? We might just need to be reminded and practice how to live in that way. What if our news media focused on those stories instead of all that's bad and wrong? Let's rally them to do that. 
I subscribe to a few emails each week that share good news, stories of heroics and kindness, and these buoy my belief in the inherent worth and dignity of humanity. So perhaps the litmus test is whether narratives are serving or harming us. Are they uplifting or depressing us? What stories do we want to tell about ourselves and our children's children? What stories do we want to shape our present and our future? I end with a famous Cherokee story of two hungry wolves. A grandfather tells his grandson, there's a great battle between two wolves that live inside us all. One is evil, filled with anger, violence, jealousy, resentment, inferiority, lies, and greed. And the other is good, filled with joy, peace, love, hope, humility, kindness, generosity, truth, and compassion. The grandson asks him, which wolf, granddad, wins the battle? And he replies, the one you feed. My friends, the stories you feed will define your life. They will define our society and they will define our future. Which ones will you choose? Amen.